If you're trying to stay focused on getting work done and eating throughout the day is something you think about, have to decide, and you're not sure what to do, and you just wish an option was available where the right meal with all of the specifications you want be available to you, easy to make, under two minutes, well, luckily for you, Factor is available where you have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie. And you can enjoy over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons to help you make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? You can get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking up for something fast that's upscale option done very easily. It's flexible on your schedule where you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. No prep necessary. They're 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup necessary. Head to factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and use code sellingwithlove50 to get 50% off. That's code sellingwithlove50 at factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and you'll get 50% off. Not bad. What skills do you have? What value do you bring? How do you change people's lives? How do you add value to the organization? Because if you are literally wired to add value and you're always looking to help other people succeed, you have guaranteed future work stability. No question. So the self-leadership comes from basically self-esteem. Do you believe that you have the value? Do you believe that you're worthy of creating value for anybody else in the future? Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work. A Mind Valley podcast. Hi, everybody. Jason Campbell here. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. I have Cheryl Cran here, which, oh my God, we're going to have such a treat talking about the future of work. I mean, she was recognized as the number one influencer by Analytica when it comes to talking about this topic. What does the future of work look like? She's been a leader speaking in organizations around the world, has written eight books with her ninth one coming up. And what we're going to talk about a lot right now is really what is happening? What are these changes that we are seeing in the workplace now? What does the future look like? And what can we do about it to stay extraordinary, productive, and keep making an incredible impact? Cheryl, thank you so much for being on the show and welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Now, tell us a bit about your journey before we get started into these concepts from the book, which I think are just absolutely amazing and very much needed to be heard by most of the people listening to this because we're living in this era of change. You've always had this communication, this dialogue around change management, which I think change is really hard for people typically. And so I wanted to hear what was your journey into getting into this niche of helping people go through change and how have you been able to navigate that field and really help companies understand what needs to be done? So that's a great question. So my journey is a little bit unorthodox in that I didn't go to university or college. I actually started my career right out of high school. I went into banking. I was very achievement oriented. I was taught to work hard, do hard. And I got a leadership position very young, 23 years of age. 
my unique style as a leader was to set vision and motivate and inspire people to come along with change. That was my wiring from the very beginning. And I took that skill all the way through till I left the bank and went and got headhunted and went to insurance, headed up a very successful insurance arm, did a lot of professional speaking for developers and realtors and other groups. So speaking professionally was always part of my career trajectory as well. Wrote my first book in 2001. And we know what happened in 2001 was 9-11, massive tragedy, massive shakeup globally for everyone. That book was all about how do we navigate a really uncertain future and what's the communication we need to do that. And then eight books later, nine books later, and being in private practice with our consulting firm for over 20 years, I wrote the next mapping book two years ago. And prior to that, the change leadership book, The Art of Change Leadership, Driving Transformation in a Fast-Paced World. So my personal ability to be very agile in turbulent change is something that I have been able to transfer to the clients we work with in workable strategies, but also in our team and with the people that we coach and consult with as well. I love it. And I think that tees it off to really one of the first questions I have when we go into talking about the future of work is you're talking about change management and your ability to look at what changes need to be done in turbulent times. Yet I see that change is starting to happen in the workplace faster and faster. And I can just think back of when I was like 20 years old and there were new technologies coming out and I was like the early adopter on all these technologies. I was always someone that was gung-ho about a new platform, a new CRM, a new way of doing work. You could outsource things. And I was always the one bringing these ideas. Like my parents have a family business and I'd always be the one saying like, hey, we should get websites. We should be doing email marketing. We should be doing all these things. And they were like, we want none of that. And I was like, my God, I hate how my parents, like my dad, would be so resistant to change. And now as I'm in the workplace, I'm seeing people and technologies coming up and challenging. And I'm the one who's having this resistance. And I don't know if this is just a factor because I'm growing up or is it because the changes are moving at a faster pace? What's going on here? (laughs) Well, I think it's a combination of all the above. Peter Diamandis, the co-founder of Singularity University, talks about exponential change and exponential speed of change. And that's what we're living now. So we've been talking about change for decades, but up until the 2000s, the change was manageable. For instance, let's talk ATM machines. That change was a convenience change that everybody adapted to very, very quickly. But then when you have the 2000s and now you've got exponential innovation happening on a monthly basis that is connected to both technology change as well as societal change, like people's minds are opening to a variety of different things societally. I mean, we are now talking openly about things that would never have been discussed a decade ago and really looking at how do we improve the world through change. But you're right. Psychologically, change is the most difficult thing for people to do. Technology is fairly easy. You talk about CRM and platforms. That part's easy. You can say, well, this problem can be solved by technology. It's the people that are the challenge. And when we say that, we say we underestimate the importance of getting individuals to buy into the future, to see the merit of change, to connect the change to their personal meaning, and to connect the change to what the impact is going to be on them personally. I firmly and strongly and passionately believe that unless we have a change leadership approach to technology innovation, we will continue to get pushback from people because psychologically we don't trust the change unless we can connect it to meaning. And I think that's the crossroads that we're at right now. 
Wow. I'd love to actually explore that even more because I'm very familiar of times that I've tried to push technology innovation within a company. And I've seen how everybody resisted against me. And a lot of what you talk about when you speak about anticipating that future of work is this element of human behavior. What do you mean about this idea of meaning? I feel like a lot of times people are just, and even myself, I'm skeptical that the change or the technology or whatever's coming is really going to make my life easier. Is this really where the gap is happening? Well, in my book, The Art of Change Leadership, I talk about the change cycle. And so we all behave with change exactly the same way. It doesn't matter how evolved any of us are. So when change happens, there's an initial pushback reaction, a defense reaction. And that reaction is, I don't trust the change. I'm not convinced it'll be better than how it's been. And I'm not sure I'm going to be able to leverage it to where I need to leverage it in order to be more impactful. That phase is a necessary phase. It's actually a critical thinking phase. However, many people get stuck in that phase because they get mired in the what's going to not work or how is it going to be wrong. So they want to poke fingers and holes at the technology and at the future versus moving to the next stage, which is what I call creative solution, where you start to look at, well, what if? So if I were engaging you, Jason, in a change, rather than come to you and get all excited and say, we're going to change, we've got this new CRM, it's awesome, it's going to make everything so much easier for you, your initial reaction is going to be skepticism. You're going to think I'm selling you a whole big load of you-know-what. You're not going to trust me or the technology because I'm trying to sell it to you. And so when I talk about meaning, it's about connecting it to what does it mean for Jason and his job? So instead, if I come to you and say, we've been exploring multiple CRMs, we actually would like your input on them. You tell us, how is it going to make a difference in your daily work? What are the questions that come up for you when you see these potential technologies? And what do you envision making your work and life easier if you were to use any of these new CRM programs? So in my book, Next Mapping, I talk about the PREDICT model. And one of the key elements of making all of this change work is crowdsourcing. And I'm not talking about just the typical employee surveys or customer surveys. I'm talking about one-to-one, anecdotal, meaningful conversations with people, with human beings, human to human, saying, what does this mean to you? How can you see it working? And how can we creatively brainstorm ways to elevate this so that it works for you and for everyone else at the highest level possible? Oh my God, Cheryl, we should have been having conversations way earlier. Because now as you're saying this, I'm thinking of all those times I've beat the drum into doing exactly that and how much resistance, how much I had to fight an uphill battle as I was trying to bring these innovations, these tools, because I got so excited about it. And guess what? I'm known as the sales guy at Mind Valley, And so everyone always comes with an air of skepticism. So I'd love to expand a little more on this predict model to allow us to be better at bringing innovations and new technologies as this pushes us into just being more productive in the workplace. And a lot of these things are around AI, which we'll talk a bit later. But first, let's break down this predict model to help us out or just help me out at this point. <laughs> yeah. So the predict model, I think it's faith popcorn that says anybody tells you they have a crystal ball, don't trust them. So no one can predict the future. And even though I'm a future of work expert and we look and peer into the future, we look at the future through a variety of lenses. We look at it through where are the societal values shifting. We look for patterns, which is the P of the predict model. Predict model has seven elements. I'll only talk about the first two because we could literally do a two-hour podcast on just the predict model itself. And it is in the book, Next Mapping, Anticipate, Navigate, and Create the Future of 
of work. And also all of our infographics are for free and they're downloadable on our website and their predict model is articulated in those infographics as well. We'll just talk about the P and the R. So the P and the R, the P is for pattern, the R is for recognition. If we ourselves as business owners or anybody listening as an individual, if you want to get a grip on the future, you have to look at patterns. You have to look at patterns from a variety of perspectives. One of the future of work skills that we all need to develop at a higher level is the ability to have multiple perspectives around things that are in front of us versus these sort of, for example, if you've been called the sales guy, you likely have been in the past tackling things through a sales filter. And that's a sales perspective, which is great. If we want to elevate the predict model, we have to be willing to put on, if I put myself in an organization as a consultant, I'm looking at the sales perspective, the operations perspective, the marketing perspective, the accounting perspective, the customer perspective. So you're looking at all these multiple perspectives, and then you're looking at the patterns that emerge from all those perspectives. So for example, if we were to look at a company that's very sales-driven, obviously we'd gather that data from that sales perspective, but we would then look for the patterns that link up with operations, accounting, customers, and that's where the gold is, because that's what points us to the future. Because now we can go, oh, wait a second. So sales is saying that... People want to do more self-serve online. Operations is saying we don't have the technology to allow people to self-serve to the level that sales says we needs to. Accounting saying that costs a lot of money to do that. <laughs> so whatever those perspectives are, we bring them all together and we find the common ground through pattern recognition. And that common ground might be we can save money for accounting if we implement this in a certain way. We can help marketing do a better job because now we know exactly what the customer wants for self-serve. We can help operations use the right CRM and IT to select the right technology solution given those patterns that we've recognized. So I'll pause there, Jason, because there's so much there. In the updated book that comes with Companion Workbook, which is in February 2020, we actually are giving away our secrets of how we do this with our clients. And the reason we're doing that is the future is about open source. And so we obviously, as a consulting firm, want clients to hire us to do this for them because we bring a whole bunch of expertise. We also realize that people will want to use the tools to leverage where they are already. And so we're actually modeling the future of work. All right, Cheryl, I really like the fact that when you start looking at these different perspectives, it really allows you to build a story that can actually make it a win for everybody who's affected by any change that is coming in an organization. And I really appreciate that. We're going to be having access to the whole model online for free. That's amazing. So anybody go check that out. It's absolutely amazing to go through this entire process and you can really see how you can be better at bringing these changes forward. This is really where I wanted to talk about where you said open source. I want to talk about more of these trends that we're seeing. Let's start with the technology front because I think technology is a really exciting thing for people to want to get their hands around. So what are these big trends? You mentioned open sourcing. We've talked a lot. Obviously, being in a sales background, I got excited when we talked about systems and CRMs. But what are these big things that we're about to see that could impact us as individuals in the workplace? I'm glad that we started the interview talking about people first, because at Next Mapping, that is the key here, is we have to be looking at, obviously, we all get excited about technology because it impacts our daily life. We're all using Siri and Alexa. We're all using voice activation. We're all using touch technology with our Macs. We're all using facial recognition. So we do get excited. But I feel really passionately that we have to look at technology with the people first lens. How is it affecting 
the customer experience? How is it affecting the employee experiencing? How is it helping humanity as a whole? And I think if we have those questions at the forefront, then we're going to be okay with all of the technological innovation that we're facing. In 2020, we created a report. It's available for free on our website. It's called the Top 20 Trends for 2020. And what we're seeing is a number of things. Number one, the integration of 5G. 5G is going to become ubiquitous. And that means now we're going to have even higher adoption of voice activation, of facial recognition, of all of these technologies that we're just starting to be on the fringe of. AI is going to continue to increase and shift things for the future. AI is going to actually continue to shift how we do business. So it's not going to take jobs. It's going to take on the tasks people do on a repetitive level. So when we look at AI's continued trend, the other trends we're seeing is automation, robotics, organizations that are heavy into manufacturing, more cobots, more care bots in the healthcare industry, more exoskeletons to help humans lift things at 10 times the strength of a male. There's so much innovation. In fact, I get excited about how we literally are on the periphery of many of human current illnesses being solved in the next few years through technology. We are on the edge of solving things like mental illness through cognitive VR therapy, virtual reality therapy. It is such an exciting time to be alive. And so these technologies are going to transform the planet. We have 8 billion people on the planet. Half of them are connected to Wi-Fi right now. In the next three years, 75% of the planet will have connectivity to Wi-Fi. So if you think we've had innovation now, increase that by 30% of the population now adding to open source, adding to the databases, adding to the collective wisdom that we're gathering through technology. You can either have two thoughts about the future. Number one, holy, you know what, (laughs) and be very scared, or you just get super excited and super abundant. And you look at the possibilities of how we can literally transform the planet. And I don't say that from an idealistic standpoint. I say that it is very real for us to create the planet. They're solving environmental challenges. You know, we have Greta Thunberg talking about the environment. There are solutions. There are products right now that are being created that with a drop of a liquid, plastics can be brought down to a tenth of its original size. There is so much innovation that we hear all the negative stuff in the media. We're not hearing about the innovation that's going to make a lot of our current challenges a thing of the past. And so it's a very exciting time to be alive. Cheryl, I love that you were able to share a bit of an idea of what's coming up. It's super excited. And I love how positive you are about it. But a matter of fact, you did say that some people take that other side. And I really want people to be feeling comfortable knowing that this future is coming. And what does it mean for them and their role? Because there's this idea of like my significance, like, wow, all this change is happening. What part do I play? How do I stay relevant in this sea of change? Like even in my case, I'm already just struggling with simple things such as innovation and simple automation technology. But what you just talked about is way beyond what most people can get their minds around. So how do we step into this abundance and how do we play our part in it? Yes, such a great question. And this is where my faith in humanity is very high. I have very high faith in humanity that we are going to solve a lot of the challenges, as I said previously. There's a lot of questions I ask in the book Next Mapping around, do you have a fearful mindset or do you have an abundant mindset about the future? But I think just from a very what's next perspective, it's really looking at where are you now? So if you are feeling afraid of a technology, for example, or you're feeling afraid of a direction that society is going in, 
I think it's an existential opportunity for us to really evolve. At its very core, Jason, I believe we're on an evolutionary opportunity here. And so when you look at change, you can look at it as, I'm afraid, I don't know what it means. It's okay to go there. That's the first part of making change is the awareness of, I'm afraid and I don't know what it means. But the second step is acknowledging that and then saying, what can I do? So I can change my mind. For example, if society is moving towards a more democratic, all-inclusive society, and I don't like that, then I have an opportunity to say, why not? Have I been holding on to a power position? Is my ego trapping me in believing that as long as I hold power, I'm winning? Because the future is shared. The future is collaborative. The future is collective. And the only way to be ready for that future is to look at change as a signal for us to evolve. And there's much more depth there, as you know, at Mind Valley, because that's what you're all about. There's so much depth there about anytime a change happens or anytime a disruption happens, it's a call for us, an opportunity for us to go, how can I look at this creatively? How can I adapt my mindset so I'm not pushing back against this change, but I'm actually seeing potential in the change? And again, referring back to my resources, you know, the art of change leadership, I talk about that. Like, how do we make those changes to what's next? And then again, in next mapping, giving those models to help people make those change. Just quickly, Jason, one of the models I share in a lot of my keynote presentations is a me to we mindset model and really using that as a tool to elevate our thinking. And when a change happens, the first thing we think of is ourselves. Pretty normal. Maslow's hierarchy. We go into survival, right? It's a normal reaction. What we're being called to do is to not spend time in that protection of the me and to really elevate our thinking to what can I learn from this disruption? What can I learn from this change? And rather than blame government or economy or technology, rather more about how do I work with the reality of change and elevate it so that I not only win, but others around me win, that the collective gets to win. So again, using Ken Wilber's spiral dynamics, I see this as we're moving into that teal level and the people that are going to actually get to teal are those that have the mental agility to make a shift in their beliefs and their values and their mindsets so that they don't see change as a threat. They see change as a glorious opportunity for us to all evolve to the next level. Wow, that was so good. And I love that you quoted Ken Wilber as well, because I love that model. It's something that I think we're all aspiring to, but obviously we sometimes face our own ego death type of battles that we have to go through. And I love how a lot of the work and the things you speak about, the technology is great, but as you mentioned, it's really our human behavior of adapting to it. And I really wanted to see if we had some more tools we could give for anybody who's listening, who's in a leadership position and is possibly dealing with people within their team that actually have these kinds of negative mindsets. And how do you actually get them to be better prepared for the changes in the workplace, especially if it comes to things that could even bring an end to the need of particular positions in the workplace? Like that seems like something difficult to navigate. What have you seen or what are you expecting? So a lot of my work has been around this. I remember, well, gosh, I'm dating myself again, but over 15 years ago, I worked with a health group in the U.S. and they were going through a massive restructure. So they were being bought by another entity, which meant about 10 of the leaders in the room of 30 that I was facilitating were going to be redundant. There was no guaranteed role for them. 
There was no clear defined future or career path or succession plan for them. Now, for anybody listening, the good news is today, anybody who's made redundant has an opportunity because there's going to be a worker shortage of 85 million people in North America all the way until the year 2030. So as long as you're agile and able to adapt, you will have work opportunities. That's the reality right now. Back then, 15 years ago, it wasn't the same reality. It was that people would be left hanging if that was the message they were given. And even back then, what we did is I facilitated a discussion with those 30 leaders around, here's the reality. Here's the truth. We are in a major restructure situation. 10 people in this room will no longer be in their positions or their roles. We don't know what that looks like and we don't know where that's going. But here's what we do know is that it has to happen for the viability of the organization to continue to exist. So the truth always wins. And then here's what we're going to help you. We're going to give you the models, the tools, the coaching, the support, the resources, that if you're the one who stays, you've got the tools to resource and future that very difficult road ahead of working with this new amalgamated acquisition reality. For those of you that will be leaving, think of it as an opportunity. You will be leaving with a package. You'll be able to rewrite your life. You'll be able to recreate your life. You might even have the opportunity to come back on contract. Let's look at how each of you individually, how we can equip you, help you, resource you, and support you to create your very best possible future. Now, I'm proud to tell you that as a result of doing that, the 10 people that did, their leaders helped them find their next opportunity. The leaders coached them, supported them, guided them. And those 10 people post-event said, best thing that ever happened to me. I learned how to navigate change. I learned how to deal with an uncertain future. And where I've ended up, I'm happier than I was before anyway. So I don't want to make trite the pain of change. And for leaders listening, you've got to be willing to sit down with people on a regular basis and see them as humans, eye to eye, listen to what they're scared of. Don't avoid the pain. Don't point them to some random solution. Help them be resourced through the models. So the me to we model that I share, that's something I sit down to help people to make that mindset shift. Helping people make change. I sit down with that change leadership model and say, where do you think you are in the change cycle right now? How do we get you to creative solution? You can't just tell people you're negative and you need to change. You can't just tell people, suck it up, buttercup, we're moving and we're changing anyway. You can't just tell people, change or die. You have to care about people's success. And as a leader, you have to be willing to roll up your sleeves and get down and dirty and having those very difficult, crucial conversations as truthful as you possibly can be given the knowledge that you're allowed to share and lead people to where it's going to benefit them, help them see how it's helping them. And you will win in getting people to change. Where change fails is leaders try to fast track it. They try to push it. They try to ram it down people's throats and people inevitably don't trust it. They resist and the best laid plans get delayed or derailed completely. Wow. I hope for the leaders listening to this, you've been able to take in a lot of the things that can be done to really make this as smooth as possible. And I love that the whole basis is founded in the truth. I mean, the truth is really what needs to come out so that you can have these honest conversations. And I was even going to stretch this. And as I was listening to this, I feel like this is often something you need to apply when it comes to self-leadership. Like how honest are you with yourself? Could you tell us a bit more about that on how perhaps I'm in a role and I can see the trend of where the redundancy of my own role, my own skills, and my own expertise is coming. How do I have that self-leadership, that self-honesty to see where I can be retrained? 
And is there possibly a tip as to which skills I should be looking in training more? It's a great question. So self-leadership, quite clearly, it's keeping your ego in check. In other words, if I know my future job is redundant, number one thing I'm going to do is write to Maslow's hierarchy is try to protect it. And that's why we see a lot of CYA in organizations. And we see a lot of CYA cover your ah. <laughs> And the reason we see that is people automatically go to, oh, I don't want to adopt this change because it means that I might not have a job. What I say as a coach is, so let's go there. What if? What skills do you have? What value do you bring? How do you change people's lives? How do you add value to the organization? Because if you are literally wired to add value and you're always looking to help other people succeed, you have guaranteed future work stability. No question. So the self-leadership comes from basically self-esteem. Do you believe that you have the value? Do you believe that you're worthy of creating value for anybody else in the future? And if you've got that self-esteem, by the way, your teams will love you more than they already do because they see that you're not trying to protect yourself. You're actually more focused on them and their success than you are on protecting your future viability. And if you shift the perspective to that, it's less about, oh my gosh, I'm going to be out of work and more about what do I know to be true about what I do to add value? And that's to me, if anybody listening just really embraces that concept to its next level, you will find there's really nothing to be afraid of. I've been an entrepreneur for over 20 plus years. Every week is an uncertainty. I don't know where the next client's coming from. I don't know where the next <laughs> you know, money is coming from. That's been my reality for 20 plus years. I believe everyone needs to develop an entrepreneur mindset. Rather than this mindset we've had for the last two decades of guaranteed paycheck, which is a golden handcuff. It really is. It prevents us from thinking beyond our resiliency factor. And a lot of people have been programmed to believe that they're only as good as the identity of the job that they're in. And that needs to change. Identity needs to shift to we are more than that. We bring more value than that. And if you don't believe that, then the work that we have to do on ourselves is around developing that to its highest level possible. Whew. You are preaching to the choir and <laughs> that hits home. I mean, I've had these issues where I tied my identity a lot being in a workplace like Mind Valley that's doing such a bold mission. A lot of times I caught myself in that identity crisis, but I've recently discussed on a previous episode that I've overcome that. It's liberated me, allowed me to show up with more impact through everything that I do. And so I love that we're closing off this episode speaking about this. And possibly one more thing I wanted to cover before we cut this is as I'm navigating my day-to-day -day work, how do I stay on top of seeing which trends are coming to impact me the fastest? Like, how do I keep a radar on to know what should I look for next? Yeah, it's a great question. So part of the book, Anticipate, Navigate, and Create the Future of Work is about that. One of my tools that I give people is you've got to have an eye to the future. So Eckhart Tolle talks about being here now, and there's value to that from a mindfulness and from a meditation perspective and from a being present perspective, because being present is an evolutionary skill. Oftentimes people have psychological distress when they're either living in the past and the pain of what's happened before, or they're living too far in the future. And therefore, they can't look at that next step in front of them. So that's why I'm so proud of next mapping, because it really is about what's next, not necessarily five or 10 years down the road, but what's next for my personal evolution? What's next for my team? What's next for this project? What's next? That question is far more doable 
because we're not creating anxiety about a far off future. So what I would say to you is navigating those trends is because I'm not a believer in overwhelming my system with information because too much information burns out and fries our system. So it's really about keeping focused on what is impacting you personally in your future and your desires and your passions and what you want to do and contribute. And then keeping an eye to that, you know, this is our work. So for me, I'm always tuned into other futurists. What are they saying? What are they doing? I'm tuned into technology. What are the trends in technology and how is it impacting society? Not just how is it going to make my life easier after Christmas and I get my Apple watch. It's more about how is this shifting the way we're all going to behave as human beings. So I think having that futurist hat on while you're in your current work is one thing that you can start to hone now. Rather than be afraid, a lot of people have their head in the sand. They don't want to know how things are changing or what's happening. I'm saying don't do that. Lift your head up. Pay attention because that's where the opportunities are going to present themselves. And by the way, this is where the founder of Uber and the founder of Airbnb, they lifted their heads up and said, this is where society is going. People want cars on demand. They want to see who's going to be driving them. They want to be able to travel the world and use somebody's residence. So if we lift our head out of the sand, we see opportunity. There's nothing to be afraid of. The only thing we need to fear is our own self-destruction. We put in our own roadblocks, right? Our own stop blocks. And to me, that's what I would want to be afraid of is where am I stopping myself? Where am I shutting down my potential? Where am I stopping the opportunities? Because if I'm not looking to the future, it means I'm just wanting to live in a bubble. I'm living in denial. I'm living in avoidance. And I've been on the river denial many times, Jason. It's not fun. You waste a lot of time in denial. I'm living a new reality. I'm 56 years old. I also believe I love your openness in this interview, Jason, about you know your evolutionary path. I too, my identity has been wrapped around my work and how I present myself to the world. I'm no longer there. I'm more about how do I be the best version of a human being that I can possibly be? How can I be the best wife, the best mother, the best grandmother, the best friend, the best value offering to my clients? I just want to be, and this is bringing tears to my eyes, I want to be the best human that I can possibly be. And as long as that's my goal, I have zero fear of the future. Zero fear. Wow. Cheryl, thank you so much for spending this time with us and sharing all these amazing insights. I think everybody's going to be leaving here with a completely different mindset about how to tackle this future that's coming to us faster and faster. Now, if you were paying real close attention, everybody, we really started to shift you from being a negative mindset to a positive mindset to see that the future is coming. It is coming fast. There are change management principles that you need to apply and you're going to see that the future is beautiful. The future is a button and you have a role to play when it is coming. I love that we've actually navigated how if you are somebody that's bringing a change within your team, you can use the predict model, which you can see more in details on the website that we'll be putting a link in the episode notes here. But you want to look at the pattern. You want to recognize those and then start getting perspectives from every single team that will be impacted when you bring this change. It could be a new technology. It could be a new way of doing business. It's really about 
about change management as more trends are coming up. We talked about the list of the trends that are coming and you can again see the reference of the top 20 innovations that are coming because really it's not about the change in technology. It's about how do we adapt as superhumans in the workplace as this technology is coming towards us. Leadership plays a critical part whether you're self-leading yourself into understanding that you need to embrace change or you're leading a team and you want to support them and everything needs to be rooted in truth. Have a look at Next Mapping if you're interested to go deeper into this topic. Cheryl, thank you so much for spending the time with us. A lot of insights were covered here and we ended with a beautiful note which is all about listen. We're all here doing our best. And if you're out there doing your best, if you're already listening to this podcast, you're already doing something amazing. So keep doing your best. That's all we can expect from each other. Keep your head above the clouds to see where trends are happening. See how you can best predict them. Nobody knows the future. You can just play your part and do your best. I love it. Thank you for listening. Cheryl, thank you for being here. Thank you. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast.